Okay, everyone. So I'm here with Father Yuri Haladio, otherwise known as Yuri Haladio. That's me. And that's me. Yuri and I are here to wrap up season one of Stop Psychoanalyzing Me. It, it was a wild ride. It was a wild ride. It was a really wild ride. Can I tell you like my experience of of editing season one? Yes, please. Okay. Wait, wait, we should give some background. So okay. uh, if you haven't tuned into the podcast before, which I think I would be kind of confused if you are that person, because this is literally our wrap up episode. So maybe you should go back and listen to one of our first episodes. But I'm the host, uh, Bev Catherine, and then uh, Yuri Haladio is behind the scenes doing all the editing, music. He makes us sound really good. So thank you, Yuri. Well, it's your wisdom that makes the show fly. So oh thank you the wisdom of you and your guests oh yes well it's it's really mostly them it's really mostly them so so you said it was a wild ride what does that mean well it is a wild ride because i like i know a little bit about certain mental health things but i'm i'm a layman right so I, I'm, right. I'm learning a lot from the podcast but i'm not learning a lot about the podcast by list by listening to your final final product the watson's my favorite because he mm. bark, he barks, and you know, he's makes barking his right now. Here, I'm going to mute my mic. Um, so, so you, um, so I, I'm, I'm, as I'm editing the podcast, going through listening, right? Um, sometimes there's bits that have to, you know, for example, Watson barks or something like that. So you have to repeat a question, things, things of that sort. Um, so, so I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning about mental health topics while editing things right which is a very because i often have to go back and re-listen and re-listen and re-listen and i'm like oh this is fascinating and i'll be like oh and then i'll find myself letting the letting the tape go for like two three minutes because i'm just listening to the person speak and i'm like wait, wait wait no i'm not supposed to be listening to them talking i'm supposed to be like listening for other things like ums and ahs and things like that so yeah it's been uh it's it's been a lot of fun <laughs> Yuri, I love hearing that, that you kind of get lost in the podcast because that's the point. I'm trying to make something, edu well, we're trying to make something educational here. And it's interesting that you call yourself a layman because you do have a psychology degree from the University of Winnipeg. So you're I, not totally I, a layman. I don't, I don't have a psychology degree. Oh, right, right. You have a religion degree with a bunch of psychology courses under your yes, belt. Oops. Yes, I do. That a lot is of totally wrong. Courses. Yes, yes. I wonder if you would have the equivalent of a minor in psychology. I think I, I would. Uh, absolutely. Um, I had, so, so I am very fascinated. One of the reasons I got into religion, like the, the part of religion that fascinates me is the whole, how do people think about the mm -hmm. world and perceive the world? Mm -hmm. um, so topics of like uh, mythology and um, narratives and things like that. And, and, and how, how humans sort of, perceive the world and live within it. So that's why like religion and, and psychology were the two big streams of, of study that I went into in my undergrad. So I ended up with many more, I had more religion degrees, more religion courses, credits that I could, then I could add to my degree. That's amazing. Uh, I only had one extra credit and it was just because I did a credit in high school that carried over mm. and was like, oh, this is boring. I want to take a real class. I yeah. was a big keener. I have a question, Bev. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, so for the purposes of the podcast, you play the the layman, right? You, yes, you, you are our friend Bev. Yeah, absolutely. But do you ever just want to get in there and yes, and share your opinion because yes. you are somebody who's educated in the field and people are sharing, and you sort of want to like, well, oh, you said that, but this is sort of my perspective on it. And have you had to maybe stop yourself from doing some of that? Yeah, I think I've had to stop myself from doing that a little bit. I think where it mostly comes out is sometimes I'll be asking really leading questions like uh, where I, I really want them to be talking about a certain thing that I'm interested in that I think everyone else will be interested in, whereas mm. they, as the guests, might not have necessarily gone there. So I sometimes find myself like asking very pointed questions and kind of diverting right. the conversation. Right. I even think too, uh, within the last episode of season one, which is Zindel Siegel's episode on mindfulness. At one point, I talked about how lots of folks think that the goal of mindfulness is to be devoid of thoughts, to not have thoughts anymore. And I was I asked about that specifically because I know that's something that we see in the media all the time where people say, oh, I can't be mindful. My brain just keeps thinking. I think so much. It's such a problem. When actually I know from all the groups I've taught and my own mindfulness practice, the goal is not to push thoughts away. That's not possible. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because there are certain so this is kind of looking at the history of religion and, and philosophical wisdom traditions and things like that. And there's some, there's, there are different schools of meditation and, and, and things right. like that. Right. Right. And that's what Zindel spoke to, like the idea right. that there is at least one school and probably several that do have this goal of being devoid of thoughts. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'd like to learn more about that. I'd be right. interested in what viewers think about that. But anyway, is that, is that where you were going or? Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because the tradition, the, tra uh, the, the tradition I come from in terms of sort of the ancient meditation, prayer, things like that. Um, there's, there's kind of two ways of thinking about it. And one, one is exactly that it's impossible not to have some sort of thinking going on mm -hmm. or some sort of image right mm -hmm. so there's this one school of thought that says well you should have like a, a short prayer right so you, you might even call it something like a mantra or something like that mm -hmm. that you, you just use as a home base or you, mm -hmm. you help you help that helps you keep mm -hmm. track and you shouldn't necessarily yeah. try and get to like a no thought state but there is also a tradition that says there's even a step beyond that of like a a, a pure existence sort of state that is a, a non thinking state right and um, i think i've reached that a few times and then i've re I, like in my own meditation practice and then i reach it and then i'm like oh wow i reached it and then think like thinking comes back right away and so for it to be the goal just feels so difficult to you know right. you're just aspiring to this thing that feels unreachable yeah. and then you notice you reach it and their thinking comes in again right and, th and that that also touches on another aspect of kind of this and this is not only sort of in Christian traditions, this is in so many different traditions, but you have this idea in, in this meditation prayer kind of thing that ultimately what you want to do is get to a place of wordlessness, mm -hmm. right? That, 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 um, because, mm -hmm. because the more you use words, the more you're limiting the actual, like yes. the depth of the reality that exists, right? Yes, so, absolutely. So there's actually, a, uh, I think it's a Zen saying or is it a Taoist saying you know i can't remember exactly where it's from but it's one that <laughs> it's, okay. it's one that i like so i'll just repeat it here i'm going to sure. paraphrase it so any of your listeners that actually know the real quote you can you know 
put it in the comments. But um, the, the, <laughs> the quote goes something like this. Um, you know, uh, a fisherman uses nets to catch fish. Once the fisherman has the fish, the nets have no meaning. Like the nets are purposeless, mm-hmm. right? Um, the hunter uses traps to catch animals. Once the hunter has the animal, the trap itself is, is meaningless. Humans use words to find truth. Mm. Um, as soon as a human has truth, words become meaningless. And then the, mm. the, the, um, the expression ends this way. Um, uh, uh, find me the man who does not speak, for I would like to have a word with him. that's a really nice ending to that anyways bev as as you can as your listeners already know i always change gears to some sort of religious yes (laughs) so maybe we could go back towards the podcast here sure well you know what your people are probably wondering um at least i would have wondered this a long time ago especially if i didn't know you or someone like you but they maybe would have wondered you know, like what's a priest doing talking about psychology, right? And I guess I'm wondering if you could speak to that point a bit or... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I can only speak from my own personal standpoint, right? So I I can't speak for maybe priesthood in general or the history of Christianity or, you know, things like that. Um, Though I'm an an inheritor of some of those, those traditions. But for me, what I was always fascinated with was how people think. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and how well, same, same. Right. And, and, and particularly how your beliefs about the world manifest themselves in your action. Right. So if you believe, uh, yes. that, you know, God is going to return on, you know, December 21st, 2012. Right. And, and, <laughs> and you just believe that. How does that change your behavior? Right. right. And what's the relationship between how we actually behave with what we actually intellectually think? And I guess it's a head and a heart question. What's that? What's the relationship between the head and the heart, so to speak? Wow. Um, so then that led me and, and I grew up within a, a I would say a, a healthy Christian environment. I, I know a lot of, uh, I know a lot of people who grew up in, let's say, unhealthy Christian environments and people who have, you know, say left the church. And I'd be like, if I was you, <laughs> If I were you, I would have left as well, right? Right, right. Totally right. understand it. But that, you know, my personal experience was I grew up in a very healthy environment, um, a very healthy religious environment. So, um, what, you know, what I hope to do is to, within that context, try and be, you know, just use some of the examples, uh, use the wisdom tradition mm-hmm. that I come from, as mm-hmm. well as modern, you know, evidence based science and wisdom mm-hmm. to try and be. Kind of, I to put it in a cliche, that the best me I, that I can be, um, and to kind of help people, um, kind of gain understanding about themselves. So uh, I, that's so cool, Yuri. I feel like we, in a weird way, we've kind of done uh, uh, a flip flop, or like we've had a reversal because I'm like you're kind of coming from traditions and like long-standing wisdom that you've inherited like you said and you're kind of like learning about evidence-based practices and maybe molding the two melding the two together and then I'm kind of the opposite I've come from more of like almost like an atheistic standpoint trying to understand behavior as this sort of cold sort of hard thing in kind of like a hard science almost sort of frame and then now I'm like well what where does meaning come in where does like yeah, this notion of universal truth. Where does where do beliefs 
more broadly come in. So that's interesting. Yeah, it's mm. interesting to think about because we both have that same curiosity, I think, about others in the world. And, and ultimately, that is the stance that I hope to cultivate in myself is not one of, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, not one of preaching, but one of learning and, and yes, right? Yeah. Uh, and of course, part of my job is to preach. Mm-hmm. But I'm very, I try and be very careful with what I say and how I say things, right? Uh, because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, especially a pr- priests are not, uh, not all priests are, you know, re- medical professionals and mental health professionals. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, and I am not, I'm yeah. uh, you know, a mental health professional. And sometimes my job is to identify when things are beyond my ability to right. help, right? right. Um, it, it might mean that, oh, you know what? I, I can help with like this smaller thing, but I, ideally a person would actually have a, a matrix of support, right? A help, uh, ideally. A, a community, ideally. <laughs> um, ideally. But often home life is rough, work life is rough. And yes. that things just sort of snowball out of control. But imagine if you could slightly adjust things so that things started snowballing, but in a positive way. Right. Oh, Yuri. It's easily within our reach. It's what we all need right now during this pandemic. We need things to snowball upwards. about the podcast you know we just wrapped up five episodes uh it's our first season of the podcast you know we talked about how it was for you you know listening in and and i guess i'm wondering did you learn anything that you were not expecting yeah. to learn well one thing that i've been fascinated in in general even this was sort of at the same time that i was starting to edit your podcast is this habit building right mm-hmm. how, how can you how can you effectively build a long-lasting habit yes right? i think we all have we all have the desire to be a writer or to be a runner or you know be i'm going to be a poet i'm going to write poetry i think we all have this desire but then we mostly don't follow through when we end up you know just watching six or seven episodes of parks and rec and going to bed <laughs> uh and so so how how, do, how i was curious are there what are some of the techniques that have been discovered through, you know, in the past 30 years on on how the brain works in terms of habit. Um, And so I I took a little online course actually, and I learned uh, particularly one thing uh, was this idea of like these cues and setting up your environment, right? So things as simple as, well, do you want to drink more water? Well, leave a glass like on the counter that's right there. So you're, you're visually, you're like, oh yeah, there's a glass there. I have to, you know, um, you know, if the chips are on the counter, you're going to eat them. But if they're left at the store, you're not going to eat them, right? So how, how can you control your environment? And you did an interview with Dr. Stephanie Casson. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. You did an interview with her and she at one point mentions how our brain creates associations between what we're doing and where we are. Right. So I, I've been Absolutely. aware, I've been aware of that in terms of my sleep. I've been trying to really foster a healthy sleep um, 
atmosphere, I guess, to put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important. But I never really thought too much about it relative to food because I eat so much food on the couch. And then I'll, ha- I'll sit on the couch and be like, well, I need to be eating something because I'm on the couch. I would just be like hungry. I would start, um, I still do it. I bite my nails on the couch because I have to be like, only not, on the not, couch, Yuri. I bite my nails in other places too, but but that's one of the places where it. Yeah. Really, it's like if I'm not eating, I'm trying to eat my fingers. Um, <laughs> so uh, that's one thing that. Uh, so you know, right now at the time of this recording, I'm in the my church is in the middle of Lent, and one thing I've been trying to do at this time is to um, try and eat my meals not on the couch to try and break that association. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Kasson, for that insight. I mean, yeah, I think that's such a great point and something we can all probably apply to our lives in in some way or another. And she mentioned that uh, when you're watching a show and you're eating, you are not you're not actually it's it's a it's an exceedingly unmindful thing to be doing. So you're not paying attention to how the body what the taste of it is. You're not paying attention to how it how it feels in your stomach. And right. I can just keep eating forever if I'm watching TV. But now I've been eating some carrots, hummus, and uh, nuts for for lunch. And I just sit at the counter, no phone. I, like it's just me at the counter eating this. And then I'm like, oh, I'm kind of full. Like I I, I don't want to eat anymore right now. And it's it's not the same amount that I would have normally eaten before. Like I would have eaten a lot more before. Right. But, so that was another thing that I think was was helpful. That's amazing, Yuri. And kind of touches on um, episode three on addiction, which is food addiction. Uh, we talked a li- we talked a little bit about food addiction with, with Dr. Stephanie Kasson, but with Dr. Sarah Dermody in our addiction episode, we talked about, well, can a behavior be an addiction? And I think for me, that episode, although I knew a lot about behavioral addictions kind of going in, um, you know, it was really interesting to hear her talk about how the field is sort of polarized or or some folks say, no, no, behaviors can't be addictive. It has to be, you know, a substance. But actually, it seems like the field is kind of moving away from that. And I know even in the DSM-5, which is our big book of mental disorders that we use to diagnose mental disorders from, it has that diagnostic criteria that we keep talking about in every episode. Um there's a section called disorders for further consideration. And one of them is caffeine use disorder. Um, mm. uh, so although caffeine is a substance, it's, it's interesting because we don't necessarily think of it like a drug. It's a, it's like an item that's in food, mm. right? Like chocolate has a little caffeine in it, tea, Could coffee, you- it's interesting. Could you characterize addiction as just disordered use? Well, Dr. Dermody was talking about how, you know, it needs to be functionally impairing. It needs to right. prohibit you from doing the things that you do in life. And you need to meet two of at least 11 criteria, which include things from withdrawal to building up tolerance to using it inappropriately, like you know, at work yeah. when you shouldn't be. It's it's very interesting how kind of yeah. like, you know, some two people can meet criteria for uh, a substance use disorder and yet look quite different because you only need to meet two of these 11 criteria. And w- one of the issues with, with that, I can imagine, is that the fact that 
sometimes you have people who might have a lot of issues mm. and one, one, one thing that they might do on the side is have two large cups of coffee from Tim Hortons every day. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, you know what? I'm, like that doesn't seem like that much of an issue, but when you compound it with other things that are going on in your life, right? Let's say you're working 10 hours a day and you're, um, you're dealing with, let's say, some you know, emotional things at home or things like that, or you're trying to navigate a rocky marriage or whatever it might be. And then you're th- also throwing in two large or extra large cups of coffee from Tim Hortons. That, that, can, be, that can be a factor in the equation, even though it wouldn't be characterized as an, addic- as an addiction within the DSM-5. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know what you're saying. It's kind of like, I don't know, where do we draw the line with some of these things and how problems can kind of compound on each other and, and build. And it's like, okay, am I anxious because I have an anxiety disorder? Is it because of this test that's coming up? Or is it because I also have, you know, like PTSD from my past? Like I, sometimes I feel like the lines can be quite blurry and, that's why I, I really think sometimes you just need to throw diagnoses out the window and just focus on symptoms and what, what are our patients coming in with and how can we help them, right? And Diagnostic diagnose, label or not. Diagnoses can be dangerous too. Yes. Because... Yes, they can. You, because then you have now, you've almost, I guess in some situations, if you diagnose somebody, you, are, you might be even prescribing behavior. Yes, right? absolutely. That, that they start behaving that way. Oh, I am now a depressed person. Yes. Because I've been diagnosed with depression, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's such a good point. And, you know, in clinical psychology school, I'm almost done. The, like That's the first thing we talk about, you know, week one of the program. It's like, well, if you give someone a diagnosis, what does this mean for them? Well, it might mean that it shows up in court records And if they're in a custody battle of some kind down the line, what might that diagnosis mean for them to seeing to seeing their children? Mm. Right. Um, What does a diagnosis mean for their own self-concept like you were speaking about? What does a diagnosis mean for their behavior? So maybe I get a diagnosis. I go on the Internet. I read all these forums. I tell all these people like, you know, people might treat me differently or see me differently because I have this label. And so diagnoses are really powerful. And we're actually taught, at least at my university in Toronto, we're taught um, be careful. Don't give don't give a diagnosis if you don't have to. And it might not even be relevant to tell your patient, you know, especially if your patient um, might be sort of susceptible to some of these behaviors, right? Mm -hmm. It's interesting. But of course, everyone has a right to know their own personal health information. So I do want to be clear that if someone did ask, we would have to tell them. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's kind of interesting, you know, the difference between mental illness and physical illness, right? Like there isn't, necessarily the same kind of stigma with diabetes right you know we might you know if i can imagine a physician being hesitant to tell someone they have a personality disorder but not at all hesitant to tell someone they have diabetes um just even in the way the public treats these folks how they're seen so it's quite it's really quite interesting and um something i actually come up against in my practice just as a student therapist I sometimes see folks who are desperate for a diagnosis and I have to have this exact conversation with them. I 
I wonder if people, let's say I, I came in and really wanted a diagnosis for something, mm-hmm. right? That that might that might be that might just be coming from a desire to maybe have even have an identity. Yeah. Right. That, mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. that, that could be that itself, the desire for a diagnosis might be a symptom of maybe not belonging to a strong community or having yes. reinforcement from family. Yes. Um, That's such a good point. It's like, well, what do you get out of this diagnosis? Does a diagnosis mean you get more care and attention from other people? Again, this isn't to say that folks who want a diagnosis are are that kind of person, right? Maybe it, it's set, like it, it settles them in some way. They feel less anxious. They're more comfortable going through the world with a label for their experience. Um, but I think it really is on a case by case basis. You know, that's that's the key, right? And that's something I've been learning about just dealing with people in sort of a church context. Is mm. is uh, you know somebody said at one point, everyone is the exception to the rule, right? <laughs> Um, but the rule matters, right? It's like, yeah. you know, you and I did improv together for years and years and years, and we had a format where we would perform, we had the bones of the story, we had the bones of the structure of what the story, how it would function, but yeah. then the actual meat and potatoes of the story was improvised every night. I'm but imagining we- people listening to this, Yuri, and being like, wait, what? They, they met doing it, a priest and a psychologist <laughs> met doing improv. Like, do, uh, do you know how? St- that sounds like a joke. That setup. sounds like a joke, except we're not stand-up comedians, so we can't write this joke. But um, I think yes. we were both improvisers before we were psychologists and priests. Yes, we were. We were, yeah. and which explains why we both have podcasts, probably. Yeah, we can. We <laughs> know how to talk to people, I guess. And we and we like the we like the limelight, which isn't bad. Exactly. Exactly. Um, anyway, sorry, I cut you off and now we probably don't, we've probably dropped the thread, but um. I, I, um, I, I, I still have the thread in my mind. Oh, let's hear it. Yeah, let's hear it. So we would perform a show where Mm -hmm. we had the structure of the show, but the actual content Mm -hmm. of it was different every time. But we, you would, there's this saying in improv worlds that it goes like this, uh, don't be bound by your format. Right. Um, and, and what that means is yes, you need the structure, right? The, The structure, um, it's like sports, right? The the rules of the game mm-hmm. allow you to actually play, mm-hmm. um, but in an improv context and in many creative contexts, don't be bound. Once you've learned the rules and you know how to function within them, don't be bound by them. Uh, so mm-hmm. he, a, a theater example might be theater one one hundred one. Don't put your back to the audience, right? <laughs> you know, like you need the audience needs to see your face. Yes. but but once you've learned that rule you can employ the tool of putting your back to the audience to great effect, right? Absolutely. Because you know how to use it, but you can only do that once you know the rules, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, you know. in Harry Potter, you have Harry, Ron, and Hermione, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who are very good kids. They follow the rules, but they also break the rules as well. A lot. They break but, them a lot. Right, but when they need to. I mean, when most, they need to. most of the time when they need, they break them for like a like an appropriate reason mm-hmm. for the most part. Right. But I feel like that's what it's like. That's what it w- would be like to be a therapist. Right. Like you would. You yes. Need, Yuri. You know I think so. Rules. That's you my philosophy. Rules, but you need to know how to break those rules. But mm-hmm. The only way 
to know how to break the rules is to know the rules in the first place. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyways, that's my rant about rules. No, I love that. And you know what? Maybe we'll get more into this topic of psychotherapy, you know, after season two, because in season two, we're hoping to have, um, you know, guests on that, that are talking a little bit more about therapy rather than mental disorders. So our first, um, season really was focused on all these mental disorders, which is great. And, and actually really is the point of the podcast. Um, but I think a lot of folks are interested in therapy too, and what therapy is and what it looks like and what it means. And so, um, yeah, I think, you know, when we wrap up season two, Yuri, which I'm really excited for, um, we'll have to talk a little bit more about, about therapy and, and being a priest and, and what this all means. Um, you know, so we've already touched on three of the five episodes. Um, an episode we haven't talked about is our most popular episode, which is psychedelics <laughs> with, uh, with Richard Zeifman. And yeah, this was such an interesting episode. I feel like, although I knew a bit about psychedelics going in, I think I learned probably the most from this episode than any of the others. Mm. Um, yeah. I've, I've per personally, I've never been, the, the drugs of choice is for me is alcohol and caffeine, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Um, I will have beer now and then, right? I will, I, mm -hmm. I very rarely have been intoxicated. Yes. Um, it's just something that doesn't really, I don't know. It's not a bug that caught me the need to, 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 I, I don't know. Be inebriated. No, that's sure, great. Yeah. That's, that's, that's not, not, not that I'm saying that that's like wrong. I don't want to sound moralistic here. Or anything no, like no, that. no. Um, but that episode was very interesting because I, along with not really feeling the need to, to do it. I, I also never really understood the stigma around it either. Hmm. Right. Around uh, psychedelics or around any drugs. Uh, just drugs in general, because they were all thrown into one category, you know, in your right. Christian upbringing. Drugs equals bad, right? Well, even in a public school upbringing, Christian or otherwise, you know, I remember I had to do a presentation on a drug. I had to pick a drug and then explain why it's so terrible to the class. Like that was literally a project I had right. to do. And, and I guess I remember we had a cop come into our grade nine classroom one time and explain, you know, finding the bodies of teens who had overdosed and stuff like that to scare you away from drugs. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, maybe somewhere deep in my psychology that kind of scared me away from using any, any of these drugs, but um, I've never, uh, I've always, I've never really understood necessarily the backlash against them uh, as much mm. as maybe would be stereotypically expected of Christians. Right. Okay. I see what yeah. you're saying. Um, so I don't know it was a good episode. It was interesting to hear what we know and what we actually don't know. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, well, what I loved about it too is, you know, Rick was very careful to say these drugs have been studied in the context of doing psychotherapy. Um, you know, people doing MDMA assisted psychotherapy with part their partners in PTSD trials, for instance, which by the way is being done out of, um, a collaboration between Ryerson University in Toronto and I believe Remedy Clinic also in Toronto, though actually that might be me mis misspeaking, but, but either way, there are Toronto collaborators on that trial and I'd love to have uh, the PI of that trial or the principal investigator of, of that trial on our podcast. So fingers crossed that that happens, but 
the point is, is MDMA is being administered in a psychotherapy context. It's MDMA assisted psychotherapy, you know? And so um, something I always hear from the media is, oh, I'm just going to microdose or oh, I'm going to take take a few of these drugs and a few of those drugs and it'll open my mind when actually the data is looking at folks who do these drugs in a psychotherapy context. And that's so important and hopefully a message that right. came across in that episode. Because right. I'm sure people would just hear MDMA equals helps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? It's But it's the same as folks who are like, oh, red wine apparently has good effects against cancer or whatever disease, like let's drink it. And then, you know, it turns out like resveratrol, which is a molecule in wine, is carcinogenic and there's like back and forth about does red wine like outweigh the benefit like, do the risks outweigh the benefits i think you know these things are kind of muddy um but yeah the public latches on to these ideas right oh people in silicon valley are microdosing they're really creative it must work um when right, we, right. we just don't know we don't have the data to support that and and it's okay yeah. like I think people get very defensive sometimes, mm. right? And it's like, it's okay if the data's not in, like... Oh, totally. Like it's, Just be cautious about your claims that you're making, right? Right, and make cl make claims with caveats. Yeah, or, like, or say, more, right? yeah, like, this works for me, it might not work for you. And be but, open to the fact that it might, yeah, it might work for you, and it might be because it actually works for you, or there's a placebo involved as well. Mm -hmm. um, but like mm -hmm. that's okay why, that is okay that why, is that's okay. that's not it's not if it's a placebo then great do it because it works yeah it's so funny you bring this up yuri um to to our listeners yuri and i right before we pressed record we were talking about energy healers uh and we were talking about how um you know those those classic folks the trope is you know they put put their hand on the on the ailed Ailed? Is that a is that a word? The 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 body part that is that is in pain. Energy healer. Do you mean you mean faith healers? <laughs> faith healers. Sorry. Yes, faith healers. Energy. I was like, when did we talk about energy? Energy healing is another thing. Recently? Energy healing is another thing. But all this stuff is interesting. I think if it works for you, it works for you. And um, well, the the thing is with faith healing is it'll psychologically it'll work for the for the day. But then yeah. you wake up the next morning and your, your knee pain is back. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly, exactly. Okay, we've we've kind of covered each episode except for the first. We're back to Zindel, actually. Um, and you know what, Gary? Now that I think about it, we actually went backwards in order. <laughs> we had no intention of doing this. Probably just did. our mem our memory, because right. I'm trying to be like, because I just edited the Zindel episode, the second one, but I, I'm struggling to even remember what was talked about in the first episode. The first one was depression, and it was really well uh, received. That's right. That's yeah. Right, yeah. Um, something so my goal for that episode and i think i think it did occur I, I think i met the goal was just to talk about how um depression and sadness aren't the same thing and i think sometimes we use them interchangeably and i had a lot of folks message me after on the instagram just letting me know that 
that episode was really, really helpful for them in learning things about depression they'd never learned before. They also tried out um, Zindel's uh, or Dr. Siegel, Dr. Siegel's uh, app or program, Mindful Noggin, um, which is, you know, based on mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, which is a very well-supported treatment for depression. So it was so excellent that Dr. Siegel could be on for two episodes and especially to open the season talking about something so common. I think, I think I read a stat and, and I don't want to, again, I, I hope I'm not misquoted here or misquoting here either, but something like approximately half of middle-aged women in the U S are going to be diagnosed with at least one major depressive episode in their lives. And we could spend an hour talking just about that, about how is this like, social sociocultural factors is this like doctors are more likely to prescribe uh antidepressants for x y and z reason is it that middle-aged women tend to be treatment seekers compared to men uh, and what have you but that that could be a whole other discussion or are, are we more depressed is this generation more depressed than past um it's so hard to know there's so many factors but it was great that we could open the season talking about something that everyone sort of knows about, but we don't spend a lot of time talking about. We don't spend a lot of time talking about depression, and yet, like, half the world might go through it. Like, half half of the female-bodied world might go through it. So, mm-hmm. it's huge. It's huge. Yeah. yeah, it affects so many people. Absolutely. One of the things I think I got, like if I were to take all the episodes in one and sort of reflect mm. on on some of the stuff I I took away from it is is that there's no like one magic pill no. to solve all our problems, right? And and that that sounds like that should be depressing, but it actually is radically encouraging because all you really need are a lot of really minuscule wins. Mm. Right? Just like a lot of tiny ones and if you can so nice i know right like you don't have putting it you don't have to do a big thing right like that you don't have to do a big thing you do a lot of like tiny like tiny tiny little regular changes that are minuscule but then you know what all you're trying to do is to get that positive snowball Mm. going because in the it'll get better and better you know in the future um Mm, that's so yeah that's great it's just it's just getting those you know, I'm picturing like many tiny uh, snowballs being formed and then they all kind of f- yeah. form one giant snowball at the, at the very yeah. top of the hill. Yeah, it's just getting those little snowballs starting to form and pushing them up the hill. That's the hard part. And, and that's when we rely on things like behaviorism very broadly, you know, the understanding of what maintains behavior, what shapes behavior, you know, what influences us in engaging in a behavior the first time. It's so important to understand those things and capitalize on them. Um, you know, whether it's through therapy or doing self-help or talking to a spiritual leader or, you know, getting encouragement from fa- your family system. There's so many ways to make these um, small gains. And I think lots of people out there are lost and don't really know how or where to start or might have stigma about talking about these things. And, and hopefully, hopefully we're fighting that a little bit, Yuri, with, <laughs> with this podcast. 
Well, I think just fo- trying to foster some understanding, mm-hmm. right? Because it's not, it's kind of, it just might sound a little weird, but I don't think it's our job to fix people, right? No, no, um, no. I think because if, if it was our desire to fix people, I think that that would maybe speak more to what's going on inside of ourselves that we, we feel inadequate yes. and we, we need other people to get better, to make ourselves feel better. Um, yes. I also think like, it, it sounds cheesy, but the, like the journey is the process, like, like is, is the goal in a way, right? Like life isn't this binary, like, Oh, I was bad. Now I'm better. Right. Like we grow and develop as human beings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I think anything we can do just to foster understanding and 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 let people grow in the way that they that they need to grow, right? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So I think I'd like to wrap there. I mean, this was this was such yeah, a great. I could go on for hours talking to you, Yuri. I could talk to you for hours. Um, but you know what? Before we do go, I want to name all of our patrons. Um, of the Patreon because they have been so instrumental in this podcast. It's quite expensive to run, um, run a podcast. And I think it's really important that they're named. So I am going to name them by tier. So we have at this moment, it is March 28th, 2021. We have two magnanimous benefactors. So our Mm. highest tier, and that's, Bob and Todd. So thank you, Bob and Todd. Your cars will be arriving soon. (laughs) We have two. No. Wait, we have no, we have two gracious contributors, which was our second tier. That's Zorica and Richard. So thank you, Zorica and Richard. And then the rest, we have our cordial supporters, which is our third tier. But just as important as the other tiers, I promise. Um, so we have Johnny, Brian, Haley, Francie, Dave, Ari, and Vanessa. So thank you all so, so, so much. Um, you have really made this journey even more enjoyable and have really helped make this possible. So thank you. All right, Yuri, I think that's it. Sounds good. Yeah, it was my pleasure from start to finish. Yeah, thank you for being on the show today and thank you for being being my fearless editor. And also, just in wrapping up the season, I do want to say one quick thank you as well to Dylan Hamilton who created the awesome graphic and anyone else, um, actually a special shout out to Rayanne Langdon for some social media marketing help. Um, she has also been extremely, extremely valuable as a mentor too. All right. There you go. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks, Bev. We'll talk to everybody later.